What if it's a long trip? Maggie asks. Sounds like an appropriate sermon title for today. And in some ways, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11 is God's response. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am not sure I recognize just how relevant this passage may sound when I first picked it back in December for March 22nd. Verse 4, greet no one on the road. Verse 7, remain in your house. Verse 11, cure the sick. I'm also quite sure I could not have estimated or foreseen just how irrelevant this passage might sound. This is a missionary passage. This is all about going out and being in the homes of strangers. And yet we Presbyterians believe that Scripture is God's Word and that the Holy Spirit is faithful to speak through God's Word. And so let's lean into that promise first by a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear you, to hear your voice, your leading, your encouragement, your conviction, your love in and through this scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, I loved playing baseball. I especially loved playing home games. I loved playing on the field where we had practice all week long. I loved playing on the field, in fact, where we had, I had practiced and played games for years consecutively. I was a first baseman, and so I received a lot of throws from the second baseman, the shortstop, the third baseman. And at that middle school age, our arms were not reliably strong. So frequently, the throw would come across the field and need to bounce first before arriving to me at first base. Not the ideal kind of throw to catch but it was home field, and I knew the dirt. I knew how our dirt was a soft kind of dirt, and the ball was going to hit into that dirt and kind of die. And so if I just kept my ground, glove low to the ground, I could scoop that ball right up with ease. I loved playing baseball at home. 
Oppositely, I did not care nearly as much for the away games, especially a couple fields where the dirt was usually brittle and dry and even had rocks. It was on one of those fields many years ago, this in the month of March, where I was receiving a throw from the third baseman, and as usual, it bounced before it arrived to me, and it, it hit onto that unfamiliar dirt, and in fact, hit on a rock, which I was not used to dealing with, and it bounced with incredibly high speed at an incredibly awkwardly high angle right up into my nose and knocked me flat on the ground. I no longer recall if my nose technically broke or it was just very painful and swollen the next few days. What I know is that moment made clear once more. I have always preferred the predictability and the comfort of home field advantage. For me then, the single most difficult part of Jesus' words to his disciples in our passage from Luke chapter 10 is that he is quite explicitly taking away home field advantage from his followers. First, Jesus tells them they can't have their familiar provisions on hand as he sends them out. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, none of the normal basics or the, or the normal backup basics you might normally have. Then Jesus explains he's sending his disciples not only empty-handed but into the homes of strangers where the disciples have no idea how they will be received. And even if they are well-received, they are told to eat and drink whatever the host puts in front of you. Eating is mentioned twice in our brief passage because Jesus knows the Jews are being sent out among Gentiles where what is acceptable to eat is at times scandalously different. Bottom line, the disciples have absolutely no home field advantage. No familiar provisions or backup provisions. None of the familiarity of their own homes and worship spaces. None of the familiarity of their own food and drink and household rhythms. It is entirely unfamiliar terrain upon which they are to navigate. In a mere 10 days, it still astounds me how much of what we considered quite familiar and reliable in our world has so significantly shifted or at least been on, put on hold. To be sure, we did not look to give up any of our familiar rhythms and ways as Jesus is instructing his disciples to do in this passage. And, and Jesus does not come along and just ripped all the familiarity away so that we would be on unfamiliar terrain like these disciples. No, not at all. And yet the truth remains, circumstances now what they are. Here we are, disciples of Jesus, suddenly standing on very unfamiliar terrain. Routine ground balls, like getting a haircut, or playing a sport, or paying a bill, or teaching children, or accomplishing work, or going to a restaurant, they bounce a whole lot differently and unexpectedly or maybe they've just ceased for the moment. The routine of how we do church together, how we study scripture and worship and fellowship, this experience testifies that we are on all new terrain. In fact, I think a good deal of the anxiety and fear we know today is, is not only from the prospect of, of getting the novel coronavirus, it is also from the fact that the very social and economic 
and societal ground beneath us has shifted so significantly that even though we are all in our own homes right now, this does not feel like a home game. It's all just so different. And it can be terrifying at times to stand on this new terrain. I think our experience, even in these last few days, makes us rightly wonder why in the world would Jesus ever proactively call his disciples into such vulnerable and unfamiliar terrain as he's doing in Luke chapter 10. I mean, we get that these kind of situations happen to people as it is happening to all of us, but but what kind of God calls followers to willingly give up home field advantage? Jesus, what is it about the rocky and unfamiliar terrain that you find so promising as soil for your work? My freshman year, I played trumpet in the marching band. And that year, we were invited to march in the parade in Disney World. Nearly every day for two consecutive months, we would go out to our school's running track and march around and around that track. And over and over that whole time, we would play one song, the Spanish Armada. We were, of course, rehearsing for a parade for which we would march a good long mile and play that one song over and over. By the end of those two months, I knew that song backward and forward. I also knew every crack and crevice in our school's old track. I was deeply familiar with playing at home. But then we arrived at Disney World. We get ready to line up for the parade itself. And you better believe that terrain was notably different. The main Disney thoroughfare upon which we were to march, of course, was beautiful, but it also had all kinds of train tracks crossing it at various points. It had a little bit of a curvature to the surface, which was different. The sun in Florida is far more intense than it is in Ohio, where we had been practicing. And the crowds, goodness, the crowds, they were so loud and excited to cheer on every part of the parade. All this to say, not home field. Not familiar. And two things can happen at that moment. Fear can overwhelm and paralyze us. It can constrict our breath and the music becomes smaller. Or, as my band director kept repeating in the moments before the parade, focus on the fundamentals. Roll your feet. Listen to the beat. And play that one song that you know by heart. Focus on the fundamentals. We, one of the great gifts of, of unfamiliar terrain, if it does not paralyze us, is that it invites a laser-like focus upon and dependence upon the fundamentals. We see Jesus inviting this same focus and dependence on the fundamentals in our passage this morning when he tells the disciples, empty-handed as they are, on new terrain that they are, to go among strangers and announce peace to this house. Because that really is the most fundamental gift the church has to give. Think about it. When Jesus rose from the depths of the grave, Jesus' very first words to his disciples, his very first gift, Peace be with you. My peace I give you, he 
puts it elsewhere. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace there. It means well-being and wholeness in every facet of life. Well-being and wholeness in mind, body, heart, spirit. I breathe this upon you as my first gift. And actually, Jesus says these first words to his disciples right after rising from the grave as if to make it clear just how powerful this word blessing is. My stronger than death shalom be upon you both now and forever. Peace be upon you is our most fundamental baptismal grace. It's the promise of Jesus' life, Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' love that cannot fade, change, or go away. And not only do we have this shalom as our most fundamental gift, anchoring our entire being, we were made to let our lives announce this shalom as our most fundamental call in this world, to let the peace of Jesus pour forth in ways that serve the mind, the body, the heart, and the soul of others. And truth be told, sometimes it's not until we find ourselves empty-handed and standing on deeply unfamiliar terrain that we can hear afresh the singular voice clearly calling to us, focus on the fundamentals. Play the one song you not only know by heart, but is written upon your heart. Let your life announce the peace of Jesus that has been given to you. And indeed, in these recent days, I think the church has been focusing afresh on this fundamental gift of peace. Because even as churches throughout this nation no longer have nearly as much use for their buildings in the moment... And even as they no longer gather for study and worship and prayer and all the familiar ways, how many have we seen in recent days from among the church raise their hands and say, how can we serve? How can our lives offer well-being and wholeness unto others? Mind, body, heart, soul. How many have we seen sharing scripture online, offering prayer over the phone, writing handwritten notes of comfort to one another? How many have we seen offering shalom all the more fully and fervently, precisely when the terrain has become so unfamiliar? Look, we all love playing on the home field. We all prefer marching on the familiar track. It's more predictable. Uh, it's easier. And I think we rightly ache and, and pray to eventually arrive at a good and just Stability. But at the same time, when you don't have home field advantage, you're forced to focus afresh and depend afresh upon the fundamentals. And that can be such a profound gift when your fundamental is the very shalom of the living God. How has God been calling you back to this most fundamental gift, even in these recent days? How have you noticed the Spirit prompting you to share this peace in surprising or fresh or new ways in these recent days? And how is God calling you to let your life announce the peace of Jesus in the coming days? 
And sure, Jesus is realistic in our passage. Some people you encounter will not care for or receive this peace. Can't control that. Still, the kingdom of God has come near. But let's not forget how Jesus frames this whole passage. His very first words in this passage are this. The harvest is plentiful. It's Jesus' ways of, of having the disciples look upon the horizon of the world and see right there in this very moment upon this brittle, unlikely soil, right there, God is growing in abundance. If you will but march forward on this terrain with far less than you're used to having in your hands, if you will but keep moving and simply seek to announce the most fundamental gift you have in Jesus, I promise you the harvest is abundant. Do we believe it? I will tell you, we heeded our director's instruction, and we marched that unfamiliar Floridian mile with an intense focus and dependence upon the fundamentals. And it was easily the best we had ever marched and the fullest we had ever played the music. It is my prayer that fear does not constrict our breath in this season and diminish the music. It is my prayer that this season of all seasons will be one where the peace of Jesus Christ plays forth through us, in us, among us, with a uniquely rich fullness and clarity and beauty. I am convinced we just need that one song played faithfully over and over. Amen.